0: Well, now we're going to get some time in the Word. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to an Old Testament book called 1 Chronicles. And we're going to go all the way to the end of that book, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And I've chosen this passage because uh, this weekend, as we celebrate those who helped design and build this expansion, as we celebrate those who helped fund this expansion, as we celebrate those who invite others to find and follow Jesus in this place, I think it's an opportunity not just to celebrate, but to recalibrate, to be focused and crystal clear about why we're here in the first place. Because moving into a building doesn't end a process, right? This is just a facility. Facilities come and go. I've never kind of attached my hands to facilities. And the church has been one of those famous places that people attach their hands to, the seat you're in or the pew you used to sit in or, or the place that you, you, your great-grandmother built or anything like that. And this is just a facility. What's much more po- important and what's much more priceless is you. You're the church. And so we want to celebrate and recalibrate to the ultimate mission here that we're all called to. And your life, if you know Jesus, then your life is here to help other people find and follow Jesus. In 1 Chronicles 29, we're at the end of David's life. David had a heart to build God a building, a temple where the world could find and follow God. It wasn't just about Israel. God just wasn't, it was his country. It was his chosen people, but it wasn't just about them. It would also be a place for the nations because God loved the world and he wanted all people to find and follow him. So David spends these, um, we have the narrative here of seven chapters of David asse- you know, assembling people, assembling resources to build this temple. And it was one of the most celebrated moments in the Old Testament. We're going to read about this moment where they gave generously to the Lord to build this place. It was marked not only by generosity, but also by praise and by commitment and I chose this passage to encourage us to do the same. Now, again, I just want to reiterate, this is not a temple, okay? With Jesus, the temple of God is in your heart. And the Holy Spirit resides in your heart if you have known and trusted in the person and the work of Jesus. But this is a place. But I think, think the place is important still. Because throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people of God would gather the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake, don't forget about, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. And so we as the church gather and we gather and join ourselves to these ancient practices that were shown here in the Old Testament and are again uh, repracticed in the New Testament with the person and the work of Jesus. And so let's take a look at this passage now as it explains to us what happens when people gather and look at this. David says this, verse 10 of 1 Chronicles 29. He says, there, it says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness... And the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Just pause there. What is David doing? David is declaring the greatness of God. Do you realize that's why we gather together? We gather this day to declare the greatness of God. And there's a value in declaring Because when you declare who God is and what he's about, when you declare that he is great, your faith deepens. Declaring the greatness of God always deepens your faith. You say things like, you are God and I'm not. That's a good thing. That's a good humble place to be. You start saying, you are great, God, and I must have you in my life. Declaring the greatness of God Not only deepens your faith it also changes your perspective of reality And as we do that god speaks into our lives Did you know that each week we gather here and when we declare the greatness of god? I just think about this Think about all the different issues you guys show up with Let's just name them our big fat greek problems, right? We show up we show up with a lot of hurt. We have a lot of issues. Some of us are dealing with health issues. Others of us are struggling with mental health issues, our job, our career, and the stress that goes along with that. Some of us are struggling with the relationships in our lives, our parenting issues, our marriage issues. But it's not just what's happening inside of you. It's what's happening outside in the world, right? Global markets are, are nervous about this exit from out of the European Union by Great Britain. Political movements in our own country worry us. Disturbing news reports, they just fill our, our, our minds and we spiral with those things. But here we come to rest in the greatness of God. All that's threatening your life, all that's challenging your life, all that's competing with you, Giving you voices that say to you, you aren't enough. You need more. Just work harder. You're not measuring up. Someday you will. You're falling behind. This is a place to rest in the greatness of God. Did you realize that as we gather in the name of Jesus, we realize when we have Jesus, we have enough. When we have Jesus, we have enough. We don't need anything more. Everything that's burdening you, everything that's heavy on your heart, lay it down and lift up the greatness of God. We need the greatness of God in your lives. Can I tell you one other thing? David, David was, uh, well, really wanted to build this temple. But God told him, David, you have been a man of war. I want to build this house with a man of peace. So God chose David's son, Solomon, Solomon. It's not just a place in Kansas, right? Solomon literally means shalom, peace. He was the son of peace. He never fought in a war. He never shed blood with his hands. And God said, over the time that you're building this temple, I don't want you to fight the other nations. I want you to declare peace. Don't expand your boundaries. Be content with what you have build this house. And in this period of peace, the temple would be built by a man of peace. Did you realize, do you realize that with Jesus, who is our prince of peace, every time we gather in this place, we're led into his peace. We're led into his rest, rest for our souls. And so we declare the greatness of God because Jesus lived Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he did this in power, he did this victorious, he triumphed over death and the cross, and he declares peace in our hearts. It's because of his greatness that each week we can declare peace because of the person and the work of Christ. This is a place, out of all the things in your world, out of all the threats, out of all your fears, lay them down, lift up the greatness of God. I need that in my life. I need a practice in my life where I can come with more than just me sitting in a car singing a worship song where I can gather with people who are burdened just like me and we can all say it together. God is great. We need that. And as we do that in here, then it's a platform for us to live in the greatness with the greatness of God outside of this place. It doesn't stop here, but it's a springboard. It's a springboard to declare the greatness of God in all of life. Let's keep reading there. Look at uh, verses 12 and 13 as we continue what David also did. As he prays here, he says this. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. What was David doing? Not only was he declaring the greatness of God, he was thanking God for his goodness. That's another thing we do in this place, is we thank God for his goodness. We just sang that song you're a good good father. That's who you are. It's because of the goodness of God that we even have our new identity as beloved children of God through the person and the work of Jesus. But look at what it says here. It says both riches and honor. Those are good things come from you. We thank you our God and praise your glorious name. I grew up in a fairly materialistic environment. I was uh, very materialistic as a kid, and I loved things. I liked gadgets, and I got attracted to those kind of things. And nothing has changed my walk with Jesus more than realizing Joe, you don't own anything, (laughs) you're not the owner all the stuff that you have, those are from God on loan to you. Boy, this totally transformed my life. Before, it's what I have. It's what I did with what I had. I, I viewed God as a threat to my life with what I could have materially. But I was freed up when I started realizing the goodness of God in my life. It changed who I viewed my source because I'm not the provider God has given me everything I have. I love what the book of Psalms says. It says, you open up your hands and you satisfy the desire of every, I'm part of that every, every living thing. Secondly, it also changed my identity. I realized in the United States where we so value personal property, I don't own anything. I'm not the owner. I'm a steward. I'm a steward of what God has already given me. And I realize that God is a good God and he's for us. Everything comes from his hand, riches and honor, not just the resources for my life, but also the results that happen in my life and the respect that I'd long for in my life. Everything comes from God. And I realize that this God has given us three good things to steward. He's given us the gospel. That's the greatest gift I've ever been given. And so if you've trusted in the work of the gospel, in your life. It's the greatest thing you could ever have. And it's a gift that God says, don't let it end in you, give it to someone else. We built this place because we want to steward the gospel in our lives, to move it from one person to the next, not just have a dead end in us. Secondly, we're called to steward the goodness of God through the character of Christ. Who Jesus is, we follow him. We don't just find him, we follow him. And Jesus leads us into the character of who God is. We're people who not only are loved and receive that love, but we choose to love people around us. We're people who, when someone does something wrong to us, we learn to forgive like Jesus has forgiven us. When people don't deserve our attention, they don't deserve kindness, we give them grace because that's how God treats us. Treats us far better than we deserve. And we steward those things. The final thing God has given us to steward are are our gifts. Uh, our finances, your ability, your creativity, your energy, your spiritual gifts. God has given us those, those gifts so that we would advance his gospel through that, that we would love others with those things. Now, some of us, we have more finances than others. God never says how much. He's not impressed by how much you have or how little you have. But he's concerned with what you're doing, with what he's already given you. And we're accountable to him for that. So we're people who live a life of thankfulness. And I found this. Thankfulness, thankfulness just fuels worship. When I come in and I thank God in this place for who he is and what he's done, that just fuels worship. When I come in and I go, God, my life stinks. You need to do this, this, and this. And I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to praise you until those things happen. That just erodes worship. It robs me of the opportunity to worship. So come to this place with a thankful heart. You have a God who is good. Can I say that's one thing you're going to be praising him. And one thing we can practice in this room. You will be praising God for eternity because he's good. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. You're going to be praising him for that. There'll never be a time in history, in in eternity, where you go, God wasn't good. You're going to realize that and live in that for eternity. So practice it here. Then let's keep reading. Look at verses 14 through 16. Here's a rhetorical question, and I really like it. David asks, who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our, all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and all is your own. What's he doing there? David's responding to the grace of God. I mentioned earlier that grace is God's undeserved love given to you, freely given as a gift to you. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it. Most of the religious structures of the world say, earn it, you got to be good enough to get in, or keep doing it, because you don't have enough right now. So when you come to Jesus, we have to to step away from that man-made structure of religion, and we need to realize the relationship that he's done for us. You see, it's not about you trying to get in, it's you trusting in something that's already been done for you. Jesus lived perfectly for you. He was without sin. You and I, no matter how good we can be, no matter how we compare ourselves to people sitting next to us and kind of measure up depending on the topic we want to choose, we aren't good enough. We can't measure up. Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus died for you. And that grace, him giving his life to satisfy the payment of your sin was fully provided. When he died, God said, enough, enough. You don't have to die for this. You don't even have to live to measure up to this. Jesus fully satisfied the requirement. But Jesus also rose from the dead. And it's the risen Savior that we worship today calls us into a relationship. So we respond to his grace. It's not you doing something, it's you receiving. You respond and receive his grace. Church, we're here to offer Up grace each week and to have you live in response to that grace true let's just trace grace throughout the whole bible grace is from god it overflows from him to us through the person and the work of jesus and it's to move through us to others it enters our lives and fills our lives with forgiveness with love with the acceptance of god And the more we know and grow and live in this grace, the greater Jesus becomes in our lives. So respond to his grace. Receive his forgiveness. Live in his freedom. And then let's take a look at verse 17. Verse 17 there. It continues. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O God, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Do you see what he's saying? God, direct their hearts to you. When we gather in this place, we're seeking guidance from God. I want you to think about that as a way to prepare to be in a place like this. What if we showed up with a heart that was prepared to say, God, you know my life, you see everything. I'm ready for you to teach me something today. I'm ready for you not just to teach me something so that I go, oh, that's nice to know, but this is who I want to be. This is how I want to follow you. What? I just look at this room and all the people that have showed up here today. I just think, God could totally change our whole city with one of our services if we all sought the guidance from God in our lives. If we didn't listen to our time in the Word of just something to be entertained, but someone we could actually enter that story that God is calling us into, and we could walk as followers of Jesus. I think about how transformational that is, and yet each week we're busy, we're hurried, we're just thankful for some quiet in our world that we have. What if we really started saying, God, move me, direct me, guide me? Okay, let me confess real quick. I preach this message, and this is now the fifth time I've preached this message this weekend. We have just, I know we only have four services that we open up here, but we have a three o'clock run-through, which I preach this, to an empty room. So just to get familiar with where I'm going, and people want to be able to follow me with the slides and everything, so... In just a few hours, I will be hibernating. I'm pretty tired after I preach this message five times, but here's something that happens every time I open up God's word and I seek his guidance, he teaches me something. He leads me somewhere to someone. Sometimes, I just gotta confess, it takes me five times to get it. So if you're struggling with my messages, you just need to listen to them five times, right? (laughs) No, I mean, I'm just not the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes it takes me five times of preaching for me to go, oh, wait a minute. That's what that means in my life. That's how I got to treat my wife. Really? Took me five times. God's up there going, yeah, five times. Sometimes it takes more. Here's the reality. When we show up ready to be taught, when we show up ready to listen, when we show up ready to follow, God gets the glory. He becomes greater in our lives. And after all, isn't that what we're here to do? Make God greater and us less. Our world is so big on just promoting yourself, on crafting a Facebook post that just makes you look so intelligent and wise. But your life is not about your image. It's about you stepping back to reflect a greater image, the image of Jesus. We're all called into that, and it requires us that we seek guidance from God, not just declare his greatness, not just thank him for his goodness, not just reflect and respond to his grace, but to go, God, lead me now. We're here, and we are the people of God that when we gather together, I've seen momentum in our lives when we've all focused on what does this passage mean for us? And I've seen transformation happen in our city when we all grabbed on to where God was leading us and we said, yes, count me in, count me in. Now, look at that last verse with me as we look at this final thing that happens when we get together. Verse 19, it says, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made a provision. Now, let me just show you here. Again, I mentioned that David was not the one to build the temple. It would be Solomon. So this literally is him taking the leadership baton and saying, Solomon, take it and run with it. He was passing down what God had taught him and what God had prepared in him, to pass on to the next generation, his son Solomon. Can I just put out the thought? Wouldn't it be great if God used this place to reach the next generation? When we gather together, it's not just for you. It's for the next generation. It's it's for all those who God wants to reach through a church. Rick Rick Tegg, who was up here earlier, is one of our elders. He was here Almost 20 years ago when we launched Fellowship Bible Church, I wasn't even here then. I've only been here 14 years. But when he was here, he said, this is our values. 20 years ago, we want an open door and we want an open chair. We want an open door where this is an easy place for people to invite their family and friends who are far from God. And we want an open chair so that everyone can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's just guided us, and when I came, I kind of developed a vision of you and two, that there's two people already in your life. You don't have to think that hard, who are far from God. They're in your family. They live around you. They work around you, and they may be seeking God, and you're in their lives to lovingly, respectfully, caringly share the good good news of Jesus with them. And we started making room when we built our other building over there and we poured the foundation. We came and we wrote those two names, just their first names. And then when we built this building, at two different occasions, we had you come and write your two names. And some of you are here because someone wrote your name on the floor of this room. I'll tell you one thing. This, uh, in our worship program, there's a story of one lady who came to Christ because someone wrote her name and she shares that experience. I have just a few minutes. You can read it later. I see you all scrambling for it, right? (laughs) Just hang with me. We're just about done. But here's the deal. What if God would use us to reach the next generation? You see, we're one generation. We're one generation away from either... Revival or awakening or the death of the church. We don't hoard up loads of money here at Fellowship Bible Church. We pay our bills and we set it free. We give 20% of every dollar given here outside of our church to reach people around us with the good news of the gospel. That shows it's, itself in partnering with other, other uh, uh ministries in the community. We partner with other churches in our community. We don't view other churches in our community as a threat, as competition. They are our partners. We're doing this together. And we're praying along with those churches to have 18,000 people in Shawnee County come to Christ. That's 10% of Shawnee County. We would like to see not a revival. A revival is all about the people in the church getting excited that you build a tent outside your church to have a revival. We're talking about a revival about dead people to God coming to Christ, coming alive in Christ. We're talking about transformation. And we believe there would be a spiritual awakening in the city of Topeka. It would be a better place if Jesus were in the lives of 18,000 more people. And we want to commit ourselves to that, Folks. This is a place where we will reach the next generation. Can I just thank you for being a part of this movement? Once we're in, the story continues. And if you were to ask me, what what does our future look like? I would say our best years are ahead of us. I've seen God do things up to this point that we are on the brink of Jesus becoming greater in this city and around our community I have, uh, I have just been so thankful. Like, like David, there have been moments where I've looked and go, who am I? Who are these people that you're using, these people for your glory, for your greatness, God? And it's an honor to be your pastor. I think and I look at some of you have made changes in your calendar. And many of us bow to the God of calendars. And you've made changes in your calendar to make room for more people here. Some of you have made changes in your checkbook to give more generously here. And we bow to the God of our checkbook. But where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. See, that treasure you have given, not just to fund our ministries here, but to fund the expansion of this building. And we'll need uh, everyone to continue to give as we continue to finish this building Uh, To be used for ministry, but we need the the reality is it's been an honor for you to give generously And god has shown me as he's showing you We can never outgive him He's the owner and giver of everything It's a joy to give and can I also thank you for changing some of your conversations You've moved beyond just talking about the royals and i'm sorry about the royals recently You've changed it Your conversation's far beyond just talking about the chiefs. You're talking about Christ. And you're reaching your family and your friends, the people you care about, the people you're praying about. And here's what I've even heard from people who said no to Jesus, is they said, wow, if that's what you believe, then I'm, I'm honored that you would care so much about me. People may not accept it. You're going to still love them no matter what they believe, right? Because people aren't projects. They're priceless. But here's the deal. When you're faithful with the gospel, the next generation is reached. Folks, just in, in a matter of years, you're going to be passing the baton of your life to those who will come after you. What's that legacy going to look like? You have the opportunity to join a movement to make God greater to thank God for his goodness, to respond to his grace, to seek God's guidance and to reach the next generation for him. Let's pray. Father, not only have we dedicated this place to you for your glory, we now dedicate our lives to you because this is what you're doing in Topeka is far more valuable than just a building. We get to experience a movement Of God in our generation, helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. Lord, as we're involved in this, you're going to change us and you're going to change the people around us who we choose to love. And Lord, we give you the glory even before you do it. We ask you to be greater in our lives so that you can be greater in this city and greater in this world. And we lift up our lives and say, Count us in. We're available. We look to our best years ahead of us and we trust you to lead us. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.